Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, another day here at the office. How you doing? Pretty good. How are you? Oh, not too bad. I love being behind the mic here. It's always, uh, it's always good to chat about mud. And I wanted to thank all the listeners out there. Um, you know, as it stands today, we're, uh, we're at about 5,700 downloads, and, uh, which is actually quite impressive. And that number continues to increase, you know, month by month, we keep gaining more listeners. So, uh, you know, from, you know, just sincerely thank everyone for all, you know, all the support. Uh, we've just gotten a ton of great feedback, uh, a lot of good um, suggestions for different episodes a lot of good conversation around drilling fluids. Um, you know, learned a few things from some of the listeners and hopefully we've been able to give back some of that knowledge uh, to the rest of the industry. So again, thanks everybody. Uh, we hope to continue to grow this and provide uh, value for all the listeners out there, Matt. So what do you think? I think it's really cool. Um, I, I don't know. I guess, I don't know what our expectations are when we were going to start this, but we kind of asked our boss, Hey, could we try this? And um, I didn't know really what the success metrics were, but that's a lot more than what I would have considered successful. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's it's been kind of cool. I've actually been at conferences and that sort of thing, and people are like, oh, you guys are the Drilling Fluids podcast guys. And yeah, um, it, it's kind of neat. Uh, so yeah, just really appreciative that people do kind of enjoy the stuff you put out. And, and uh, certainly it helps us a lot to hear back from everybody listening that, Hey, here's an idea, or you need to talk about this more, or mm-hmm. even uh, I get some lovely text messages from our colleagues. Why didn't you say this when you talked about that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. So the uh, the uh, corrective, well, I don't know what you call that. The the uh, it, you know corrective disciplinary response of man, you screwed up again. <laughs> but uh, yeah. it, it keeps you honest and humble. So thank you all. Yeah, you bet. So uh, with that, Matt, something that's sort of taken the. Uh, you know, the wind by storm, uh, especially out in the Permian as of recent, is uh, muds that are direct emulsion drilling fluid. So I figured we could talk about that. I think most people now have heard the term, uh, you know, for the, I guess, younger generation of mud engineers, this may be something new to them, but it's a- basically an old tool that we've repainted, yes. uh, I think is kind of a lack of better term. So Matt, describe, uh, you know, what are direct emulsions? Maybe if you don't mind, just kind of given a little bit of a history lesson as to, you know, how they actually, uh, you know, were adopted and what we're doing with them today. Sure. Uh, yeah, it was kind of funny. So when I joined AES, one of the first things was our, our direct emulsion system was, was coming out. Mm-hmm. And uh, James, our vice president, uh, said, hey, you know, could you kind of help out with this as kind of your first, your first run at being on the team at AES? And, uh, you know, he's like, wow, we got this new technology. And, and then he tells me it's direct emulsion. And I, I started laughing and I was like, the seventies called and they want their bud back, James. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, the irony is that, that direct emulsions have been around for forever. Um, we actually wrote a paper on how we developed our system. Um, it's on the AAD website and we did a literature research on just other papers talking about direct emulsions over time. And we found some papers in the late forties, early fifties that talk about direct emulsions being old. 
Yeah, um, <laughs> they've been around for a long time. I think I think in like the seventies and eighties, it was called milk mud because they appear kind of murky. Mm-hmm. Uh, pink mud is another kind of uh, slang term for them. Um, but direct emulsions, basically, what it is is we've talked about invert emulsions plenty, right? It's oil-based mud. It's got the oil continuous phase. The non-continuous phase is brine, and we say that's kind of the invert term is against nature. Well, the the you know, common natural way of things is that the oil would be dispersed in the water. So the water's continuous phase, the oil's non-continuous phase. Mm-hmm. And that's what a direct emulsion is, is the oil droplets are dispersed. So you've got a water-based mud that's carrying some oil. Um, and, you know, the oldest ones, it was, if you were drilling in a crude reservoir, you couldn't help but incorporate some oil, right? That, sure. was, that was sort of where this all began. Um, and, uh, you know, what, what happened was, um, a lot of folks would look at them for, uh, how do I make, I, I want to drill with the lightest fluid possible. I've got fresh water. Um, I can't really get any lighter than that. Well, what if I disperse oil in it? Uh, so it was depleted reservoirs, really loss prone areas where you would want to disperse oil. We didn't want to make an oil-based mud, which would be more expensive. Right. Um, most of my experience dealing with them was kind of these brown fields. You hear about this being done in Siberia, in Alaska, the Middle East. Um, um, and the problem was they were drilling in these, these really old fields where nobody wanted to spend any money. Um, and guess what? Even with the lighter fluid, sometimes they'd lose it. Mm-hmm. And if it had 30% oil, nobody wanted to pay for that. And they said, well, if I'm going to lose it, I may as well drill with, go back to drilling with water. Yeah. Um, so even kind of going through the history, it seemed to be this jump on it for a little while and then jump back. Um, and, and that was kind of central to their application. Um, however, what's happened in the Permian is just a very unique set of circumstances have come together where you have a salt zone where you need saturated brine to prevent washout, which requires 10 pound per gallon salt. Mm. And in some areas out there, the section below it has a fracture gradient of maybe nine and a half or just, just over that uh, pounds per gallon. And so if I were to keep drilling, I would go on losses immediately. So they were casing off the upper hole section and then drilling with a lighter mud below that uh, or, cut, you know, cutting brine back from 10 pound to nine and, and drilling through. Yeah, yeah. So the idea was, well, what if we could just take saturated brine, but make it lighter? Um, yeah. So make it lighter is first oil. It's lighter. It's a non-continuous phase. It doesn't affect anything. Now I can drill these two intervals in one run. Eliminate a casing string, save a few days, save a ton of money. Um, so the the uh, objective is is fairly unique, um, in as much as you happen to have that fracture gradient and you happen to have that salt above it. Right. Um, but it works beautifully where where necessary for that application. Um, and it's what's different is it's very easy to make a direct emulsion. Quite honestly, I mean, like I said, nature sort of likes it. What gets harder is you you add a surfactant just like you you would. Um, for any emulsion to, uh, you know, reduce surface tension between phases. Yeah. Um, and what you, what you ultimately end up with is you need, uh, as you have less available water, um, which saturated salt doesn't have a lot of available water. Yeah. A lot of these surfactants aren't very stable. So the, the trick, the, you know, the, the thing that had to be reinvented or, or invented was finding a surfactant that would perform at saturated under saturated salt conditions and still keep that oil dispersed Mm. because bear in mind if that oil separates out for example let's say i'm coming out of the hole to change out a bit 
and now all of a sudden I have a bunch of light oil on top of a bunch of heavy brine. Of course. It's like having a sag incident, right? You could go on losses below. You don't know what your hydrostatic pressure is. Um, you've got a mess on your hands. And right. especially out there, it's a great way to take a bunch of flows and make a real mess. And then that's, you know, common, uh, you know, with anything that you have oil in, it's, it's going to want to separate naturally. And sure. so that's, yeah, that, that, I think that's where the technology is advanced is, is really coming up with a way to keep things very stable. And, you know, like you said, historically, it was for, with fresh water. So, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe a little bit easier to control the emulsion with a fresh water because there is all that free water. So oh, yeah. now that we're dealing with the brine, I think that's where uh, a lot of R&D went into, um, you know, with all the folks running these things, including ourselves, obviously, that to, to make sure that that evil emulsifier package is, <clears throat> is, 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 is performs, you know, where we, when we need it. And I mean, anytime you make trips or you have any, you know, cause most fluids, you know, perform very efficiently with high shear. And, and then mm -hmm. as soon as you get into a low shear environment or a static environment, uh, that's when things tend to settle out, things want to separate. Uh, and, and it's just, it's, it's, you know, it's conducive for, you know, negative side effects. So, uh, again, that, that makes a lot of sense. So <clears throat> what, uh, you know, so where is, I guess, Aside from what we had talked about, uh, what are some of the benefits uh, to the system itself and sort of some, I mean, things that we can debunk with regards? Because there's a lot of folks out there that think right away, it's, oh, it's got, a, you know, all this diesel, it's, you, it's got a bunch of lubricity. So why don't we kind of talk a little bit about that stuff? Sure. And, and I, I think this is natural. Like anytime you have a system that adds a lot of value, what happens is the customers get very excited and now they want to drill everything with it all the time. Um, with expectations that it will continue to deliver in applications the fluid wasn't designed for. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, sometimes I've tried to talk them out of it and I've been wrong. Like, yeah, it worked great for what they were trying to do. But, um, you know, the, the very first one, like, like you've mentioned, say, oh, this stuff has 30% oil in it. I should get excellent lubricity. Well, yes and no, in as much as, and, and bear in mind, a lot of these benchmarks are against brine. Like, that's what they were drilling with before before using a direct emulsion. Um, so you didn't care about fluid loss. There were some other things, you know, but, but um, on the lubricity side of things, um, yes, you've got 30% oil in the non-continuous phase. Um, and so there's only so much oil that's actually making contact um, and, and providing metal-on-metal metal, uh, torque reduction in the same way right. that, you know, if you've ever been on a rig and they put in, a, you know, 5% diesel or something, you get a little bit of a lubricity effect. But um, putting 10, 15, 20% doesn't get you more. Um, and so uh, with respect to, to the system itself, it's not going to provide tremendously better lubricity. Um, however, we did come up in our bag of tricks with uh, a lubricant additive. Um, you know, our system is called Enerlite. Uh, I think most folks who know AES know, know that. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have a lubricant we call Enerlube Lite that we designed specifically for the system. But the trick was, now I'm adding in another surfactant, right? Which wants to compete because it wants to oil wet everything. It wants to compete with my direct emulsion. So a conventional lubricant, if you just mix the two together and let it sit, all the oil would come out. And you'd have this kind of nasty mess of lubricant, co contaminated oil, and brine on bottom, which is exactly what we don't want. Yeah. Um, so we, it, it took quite a while, but we ultimately were able to come up with a lubricant that provided lubricity and kept a stable um, direct emulsion. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's the trick with these things is usually it can do one, but not both. Right. Uh, so, 
you know, cracking that egg was, was a, a pretty big deal for us. Right. Um, and it's, it's allowed us to do more things than we would have expected with the system. Yeah, I would, and especially, you know, and for everyone out there who's listening, like a lot of folks out there have a direct emulsion, but what I would caution, and, and I've had this happen, is, uh, you know, folks out um, at the rig site, company representatives or company men, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're very cost conscious. And so what happens a lot of times is when we're running a system like this, that's very finicky, it's, 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 uh, it, it allows for folks to say, well, if we want to increase the liberty, let's just, you know, company, uh, representative says, oh, I know so-and-so they've got a good lubricant. It's very cost effective. Let's just use that instead of some high dollar lubricant. And, and with doing that, I mean, is just do some, do some, at the very least, uh, some pilot testing. Um, cause there's a reason why a lot of these lubricants are costly is just because a lot of the chemistry that goes in there is pretty unique to make sure that the system itself doesn't, uh, you know, there's no adverse effects. And so, uh, yeah, it's, and I was going to kind of, I'm glad you meant, you know, you talked on the additional lubricant side of things. Um, it's just, you gotta be careful and especially, you know, with, uh, you know, the, the high level of, of calcium, a lot of times in the brines, there's a lot of contaminants in that at any lubricant can can have an adverse effect on the system. It can cheese out and all this and that. So uh, just sort of something to keep in the back of your mind. You know, if if you're you know on a rig and and you have a you know another direct emulsion, just it's it's not dummy proof by any means. Especially if you're adding other things to enhance the the performance of the system. Sure, and and I, I think it's important to remember like what happens if this stuff separates. Yeah. It's a it's a pretty big deal. Right. Um, other fluids. Uh, the fact is, we've got a good stabilizing surfactant. It, it's not a problem for us. But if I were to do something to compromise that, if I were to just you know wing it and you know find find something and throw it in there, um, you know we just want to do our homework before we do that and and put the system at risk. Yep. Exactly. Um, so yeah, lubricity is probably one of the most common conversations. What is interesting with that, you know, with the Enerlube light is it does seem to do something with the extra oil. Uh, and, and because of that, we get really good lubricity with it, with the direct emulsion. Hmm. Um, I mean, I, I, you could use it in water-based mud too. We just, we designed it for this and, and it seems to do quite well. Cool. Um, so yeah, l- lubricity is a, a, a big one um, as far as conversation goes. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit more about uh, sort of some wellbore quality type measures. Uh, how does it react with, with the wellbore, and is it a pretty g- uh, good system for wellbore stability? So, uh, remember we're comparing to brine, right? And we're also typically, you know, you're, a lot of these we're drilling pretty much below a lot of the really reactive formations. Um, so, what you'll see is... If we were typically drilling this vertical section with brine, guess what? It's got brine. It's seeing the same salinity, that, that sort of thing, as if you were drilling with saturated brine. So it's, it's somewhat inhibitive, but what's interesting is um, you can run these systems a little loose, uh, and, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. I, th- I mean, we, there's no need to over-treat, I guess the way to put it, but it, you can also run them quite tight, mm-hmm. uh, where you can have an API fluid loss of five. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you know, really, really tight fluid loss. And it's, it's sort of surprising because, but what it is, is there's, there's those oil droplets are acting like little solids. Um, and so you'd go from when I drilled with the brine, normally I had uncontrolled fluid loss, right? It would shoot straight through the filter press. And here, 
um, you can actually lock it down pretty tight if, uh, if you wanted to. Um, and one thing that we see is from a filtration perspective, we do hear back from customers, you know, wow, it, it, you know, we get better logging runs, the borehole quality is better, um, you know, it's more engaged. Um, and I don't think it was all that bad before, uh, but it's just a noticeable benefit. Um, so it's, it's probably not something I would, you know, run around and say is the one unique benefit to the system, but it's certainly nice to have. Of course. Uh, so with in, we're talking about inhibition. I mean, I, I was curious uh, about the different types of brines. I mean, this can be ran not only with a sodium chloride brine, but if if the right application came, you could run it with any type of salt, right? Well, so I would say that I would stick with monovalent brines. Okay. We, I mean, we have it tested and everything. To be fair, sure. Um, sodium chloride's cheap. Uh, you know, you could do it with KCL. I'm sure of that they're 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 similar enough. Um, but, uh, with respect to inhibition, um, I, I think the misnomer is, oh, I've got all this oil in it and therefore it's not going to be as reactive. Well, the oil's in the non-continuous phase. It's seeing the aqueous phase hundred uh percent. -huh. Um, so you may have limited filtrate invasion, which can help with some interaction, but it's not this, this revolutionary, um, inhibitive effect because i have a direct emulsion and so I, I like to caution people about that okay the other part of it is we're drilling in formations that are pretty dead um you know we'd sell a lot more shale inhibitor if the brushery and cherry canyon and the wolf camp would like do something in the presence of water <laughs> right um but uh, i think that's that's probably another common sort of misnomer but in my opinion saturated brine is more than inhibitive enough uh for most of what we're dealing with very cool what about uh, contamination? I mean, are, can you beat these systems up pretty good, or are they very delicate? Um, I mean, I can't speak for any others, um, and I promise I'm not wearing my sales hat, but uh, one thing that we found is, of course, you test all this stuff in the lab, right? You, you mixed up, and we did all this stress testing, and our AAD paper discusses a bunch of the stress testing. We went through 28 different formulations to get this one. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, you know, does it tolerate cement? How does it do, you know, if I have to wait up for a mud cap? What if it's oversaturated? What if I put a bunch of salt because my salt cuttings are going to be in there? Does that affect the surfactant? We did, right. all, we did all of those things. Um, and we, we had a good system that worked well in the lab. Um, but what you find in the field is typically they're actually even more robust. And the reason is, is two things. One is bit shear just by the fact that those droplets are so much smaller and better dispersed yeah. um, going through the bit and getting worked over. The other thing is drilled solids really stabilize the system. Uh, so what we do is we, we put a little bit of xanthan gum in our initial mix. Um, and what it is is it's, you know, the little, little arms on, on that polymer provide little, little sites for those droplets to attach to to help with some dispersion. We don't add it while we're drilling. And what happens while we're drilling is you have all these drilled solids coming in. And those are little sites for the droplets to attach to. And you've gone from, uh, you've gone to what's called a pickering emulsion, which is where I've got basically got those sites. That, so it's even more stable, which, mm. um, you know, is, is why the system holds together really well. Um, and that's certainly been a, um, a benefit if you leave it in storage for a while or what have you, you just kind of roll it over and it's good to go again. Makes sense. Um, so it's, it's very stable once it gets through a bit. Um, and it was, it was pretty darn stable in the lab too. Cool. 
What about, uh, like, do you know roughly how long, uh, again, just with our experience, you know, how long you can let this stuff sit for under static conditions before you'd really need to be concerned? I mean, we've gone like six months. You know, we're, we're, we're over 250 wells drilling this, and um, we've done a little bit of everything, but we have customers that they drill in an area where they need it, and then they don't need it for a while. We leave yep. it in some frack tanks. Um, you know, and it's, it's uh, pretty robust. Bugs aren't going to get to diesel and saturated <laughs> brine all that easily, so yeah. um, you just let it sit, um, and it, it does pretty well. Gotcha. So what about some of the, let's go sort of even backing up some of the trials and tribulations that we experience and then, you know, leaning into how we actually run and by, by we just in general, how you run a direct emulsion with regards to maintenance. Well, what I think is, is, is funny, you know, going back to when I first joined AES, we're doing the first field trial. I, I got to the rig and I mean, there's already an army of great people to help and keep an eye on things and make sure it's a success. Uh, but in my in my whole career of deploying new technology, you want you want to learn two things in your field trial phase. One, you want to have that home run that you can run around and tell everybody, you know, how much money you saved the customer, how well everything went. Um, but you also want some challenging conditions that show the system can hold up, right? Um, but normally, you want it in that order, right? Uh, and what happened to us was the very first well. Uh, we were drilling with, we started taking 100 barrel an hour flows. Um, we had to pump a ton of mud caps. We had probably three or four mud motor failures. Um, we had just, you name it, uh, CO2, uh, just all, you know, everything <laughs> was thrown at it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the great thing about it was it had no problems with any of that. So it was like, well, we sort of proved the system out. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until the second well. One was we saved a ton of money because we reuse the system over and over again. We don't, we don't trash it. Um, and so we were able to take that mud that had that initial cost of mixing and that sort of thing and just transfer it over and, you know, build what volume we needed. But um, we were reusing a bunch of that, and, and so the cost was much less. Yeah. Um, but the other part of it is it drilled fine, nothing happened. And so you have this, you know, eureka moment of saving everybody a ton of money, high fives all around, that kind of thing. Um, and so, uh, you know, we've kind of seen both. We've seen a ton of H2S. We've seen a lot of these, a lot of the things you see out there, it's, it's probably seen it now, you know, and hydrite, all that kind of stuff. And yeah. um, the system's done very well, uh, you know, against all of it. It, it requires maintenance and treatment. Um, but uh, we, I think we have the sample space now to be very confident in the system. Cool. So with regards to maintenance, I mean, it's... Uh like any direct emulsion, it doesn't really require a lot of different products. I mean, there's pretty, you have your principal products that kind of, you know, keep everything tied together. Um, but for the most part, uh, people, at least through my experience, aren't wanting, you know, extremely high yield points and, and tight fluid loss. Uh, so describe some of the, you know, when at the rig, what kind of sort of, what, what type of maintenance goes in, in this uh, that you'd want to consider? I mean, what I love is not much. Yeah. Um, so really, if you think about, uh, you know, our system, we have the surfactant, we have brine, we have diesel. That's, that's pretty much, you know, you might, might run a little bit of, co- well, you're going to run a little bit of cost to keep the pH up for corrosion purposes. Um, it, you know, but, but there's just not much to it. And so most of the maintenance goes towards two things. One is definitely solids control. And I'll talk about that in a minute. Mm-hmm. But the other part of it is the system 
you know, if, if, uh, you know, it starts to, you know, thicken up a little bit, you probably need a little bit of normal or surfactant. If it, um, you know, pretty much adding that is sort of the token response. Whenever, you know, we get a call, oh, something's different happening. Have you had any normal? No, I'll go do that. They throw some in and sure enough that that does the trick. So, so the maintenance is there, there's not a lot you can do, but, uh, you know, that's pretty basic. The, the big thing is managing your solids control. Yeah. Um, and it's because when you drill with this system, um, the whole point is to keep the density down. And if you accumulate drilled solids, it means you need more oil. Yep. Um, and so in the, in the early days, especially, you know, you might have a 25, 75 oil water ratio when you start and you might be at 50, 50 after a couple of wells yep. because you've got this accumulation of fine solids and, um, that's a lot of, a lot more oil, mm-hmm. but I, you know, we started out doing things getting, you know, early on, we got very aggressive, um, with making sure we had two good centrifuges out there, keeping a good eye on our solids control equipment, um, that sort of thing. And so it wasn't necessarily dilution. It was, it was management. Um, and you know, since then we've, we've evolved, um, to kind of take it even further. Um, and so we've, we've added the, I mean, you, we, we've run it on some of your rigs, uh, the enter light recover system, which is, um, it, it's flocculating out some of those solids, which with, I mean, once again, finding a polymer that can deal with the salinity and that sort of thing and, and still perform. Mm-hmm. Um, but flocculating these solids and, and we call it recover in as much as you can recover a bunch of the mud. Um, and we've looked at even, um, you know, breaking the emulsion. The, the fact is that, uh, when I have a 2080 mud and I TD with a 2080 mud or maybe, you know, 2575, um, I haven't used that much oil and I've got 5% low grabs. Um, there's really no reason to break it apart and try and get the oil out. Um, and so pretty much for, for a lot of our customers, that's what we've been doing is making sure that service is up and running. Um, and then we don't use nearly as much oil. Yeah. Um, no, and I can speak on this too. This just from sort of an account management perspective, but, you know, I beat my head on the wall, uh, for quite a while once, you know, deploying this system for a customer and, and seeing, you know, ideally you want to start off, you know, you adjust your oil water ratio to get a certain, uh, determined density. And the idea is to maintain that. Mm-hmm. And really the only reason you should be adding diesel is for volume maintenance, not to ad- further adjust and dilute to get the solids down. And so what was happening was, uh, you know, you get out there, whether it's 20, 80, 30, 70, depending on what density we were needing at the time, uh, it ended up being, we, we almost got to a 60, 40. And, and for a while there it was like kind of the, the joke was like, well, we're basically running an oil-based mud, which you don't want to do. I mean, the cost to, to, uh, sort of maintain that and then further try and dilute to keep your solids down, it, it can just become uh, extremely cost intensive. And so, you know, through several wells, we finally realized, okay, the importance of solids control and keeping your low gravity solids as low as you possibly can, spending a little bit more on the backyard can actually save you uh, a significant amount of money. So the return on the investment on the solids control side can certainly save a lot of headache and then on top of that, what was happening is we ended up just building so much volume because we were trying to dilute and keep the solids mm. down. And we were getting over a 10 pounds, which at, 
you know, when you've got, you know, 60% diesel in there and you're at a 10 one and you're, sp- there's a lot of questions that come up. And <laughs> right. so you have to, you know, you really need to be dialed in with what's going on at the rig to really be able to, to paint the picture and, and hopefully come up with some good solutions that don't cost an arm and leg. So, uh, what I would advise if, if any, you know, engineers are listening out there, if you got any plans to doing this, uh, don't be afraid to spend a little bit more money up front on the solids control. And then, and then if you can, you know, you can always scale it back, but I can promise you when you start off with 2000 barrels of, of a 20, uh, you know, or, or a 2080, and then you end up with, you know, 3000 barrels of a 6040, it, it can become a nightmare. And so, uh, again, just, you know, be cautious of that. Um, and don't cheap out on the solids control side of things because it, it can, and again, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but it's extremely important. I mean, just like any mud system, um, but especially when you're adding that amount of diesel, it, it can be, you know, there's a lot of costs involved. So be mindful of that. Yeah. And, and what we're seeing now with, you know, with our service and good solids control, um, you know, we've been able to lower those additions down, you know, some wells we haven't had to add any diesel for dilution. Others, uh, you know, it's probably average, you know, 30% less. Um, it's, it's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, it's, it's been nice, you know, and it's sort of one of those more odd things because, uh, you know, in a lot of situations, the diesel, you know, we don't provide it. We don't, we track it, but it's, you know, the operators paying for it directly. And so the, the cost savings are captured, but they're only captured in a particular way. Right. Of course. So, um, anyways, but, but the customer ends up saving money, um, and moves around less diesel. So, um, I, I think that sort of, especially as costs become an even bigger consideration with the rig count dropping and that sort of thing, um, you know, that's been, that's kind of extended life and, um, uh, made a big difference, but solids control is a huge way to control costs on these systems. And keep in mind, like we're at what six, I'm just going to say $60 oil. If we all of a sudden get to 80, you know, and, and obviously everyone would be hip hop hooray, but that cost to maintain that density would be, astro- you know, even more. <laughs> right, so yeah. if you can dial it in now, you're going to save a lot of money whenever this thing turns back around. Cause people are still going to want to use it. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, something like, but something else, Matt, and, and again, actually something that came up the other day is, you know, hey, are, are you guys using this in laterals? And, you know, of course, we give our answer. And, and so, Matt, is this system, uh, you know, in, hypothetically speaking, uh, something that would be good uh, in a lateral? I mean, if they wanted to eliminate yet another string of casing, you just keep on drilling, assuming your frack radiance and all that, you know, that it actually makes sense? Uh, I mean, yes, we've drilled laterals. We've drilled, I don't know, like 15,000 foot lateral with uh, at least once. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I mean, the answer is, of course, it's got to meet the specs. What, what we've encountered is a lot of it has been customers who are drilling shorter laterals who are like, all right, if I'm only drilling 5,000, 7,500 feet, whatever, um, this stuff, you've got a good lubricant for it. Why don't we just keep it in? And so they'll still run that casing, that intermediate casing string, mm-hmm. and then they'll drill out and just keep the same mud system so we don't have to trade off and deal with any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's, it's worked fine. Um, I, I, we really haven't gotten any, or really haven't seen any, any issues and, um, torque's been good, you know, torque's been good. Um, so you can definitely do it. Um, it goes back to the original design intent was this whole salt thing, right? Yeah. Um, and so when we look into the lateral, we need to talk about the mud weight. We need to talk about what we're actually trying to do and, and make sure we're going to save money. Um, you know, it's similar 
you know, we get folks saying, well, you know, I know it's easy to make a nine pound. Can you make me an eight pound? It's like, I can, but that's a lot of diesel. And it, it sort of gets to the point where you may be better off using well-based bud because the cost of maintenance could be pretty high. Right. Um, and so these are, let's talk about your specific circumstances and figure out what the right, you know, Enterlite is a great system. I have great things to say about it, but it's a tool in the toolbox, just like high-performance water-based mud, just like, um, you know, flat rheology muds, just like anything else. And you do the engineering and, and you decide what the best, most cost-effective candidate is. Absolutely. So uh, one last question I had is, is this is obviously something that's been deployed into the Permian uh, because it's just kind of an ideal scenario for it. But are you familiar or aware of any other areas within the lower 48 or Ewing Canada or something that, that people are using this? Or is this something that's primarily in the Permian right now? I mean, the saturated salt concept, I don't know of anywhere. Um, uh, I'll say this just as a, a, I, when these came out and there was so much success in Permian, of course, we had operators who were all talking to each other and, you know, hey, do you think we could run this in the Rockies? Do you think we could do, and it's, I mean, yes, we can, but what, what, what do you think you're going to gain? Like, let's, yeah. the, let's talk about it. Um, and so there were a few of those conversations and I'm sure some people ran them in those areas, but um, I'm not quite sure what they got out of it yeah um yeah i've heard of you know i've heard of the Bakken, and then i've heard of uh southern oklahoma as well so i had heard oklahoma that's right yeah so i mean if anyone has any success stories in other areas certainly be interesting to hear about them um but uh nonetheless that's it for me matt unless you got any good closing last words we'll sign out no uh, that's it for me awesome thanks again everyone please support the show like share and leave us a five-star review thanks again thank you Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.